you know, why not? But wow. Um, let's get to the show. I'm <laughs> so excited Yay. with all this. My gosh. Um, I'm, I'm looking at your your credits and it's, it's really hard as to where to start. Um, why don't we just start with something simple? Out-of-body travel. Okay. That seems to be a big out one. Out-of-body travel. Sure. Yeah, that's what we're all about. The Out-of-Body Travel Foundation founded in 2003 to reduce spiritual hunger worldwide. You can find us at outofbodytravel.org on the web. All of our books and film and everything, you know, music, art is all available for free download there. We also have a course of study for people interested. So we have a lot of resources for people. Um, And so, you know, um, if you're asking, you know, what is out-of-body travel? Um, That is when the soul separates from the physical body and is able to then travel through um, other realms. And um, a lot of people are starting to learn that it's not just, you know, the astral plane. It's literally multidimensional travel that we can have um, through infinite numbers of realms. And um, so what this is then, what it becomes is an accelerational tool in the spiritual journey of the soul because of the fact that we are being taken directly into things Um, And along the way, um, we are taken directly into the very specific things that we came here, incarnated here to accomplish, to overcome, to work through. And so it brings a lot of things up to our conscious mind that um, without it might have taken years for us to become even aware of. So it accelerates the path by a great deal. It's also a beautiful experience. Um, it's a beautiful experience for most. There's some, you know, there's some uh, other sides to it regarding spiritual warfare, but um, there is so much to be discovered. Um, what St. Paul said, that I has not seen nor ear heard, what God has prepared for those who love him, was an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a mouthful. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think, um, like out of body travel would be, I guess the same as being astral, just releasing from the physical and, and basically just going for it. I, I think a lot of people get scared when, when you say astral projection, cause there's so much misinformation out there. Um, like, do you talk about there being an astral cord? Is there an astral cord? Is there such a thing you need to worry about when you go? Well, you know, a lot of people have seen it and a lot of people haven't. I've never seen the astral cord. Mm. So um, just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. A lot of people have, so it probably mm. exists. Um, the, the misunderstanding that people have about the astral um, and the difference between astral travel and out-of-body travel is just a semantics really and so it's um what it is is the astral plane is the fourth realm the fourth realm is the realm that overlaps the third dimensional earth and so when you're talking about astral travel you're specifically speaking to travel in that realm which overlaps our third dimensional reality when you're talking about out-of-body travel you're talking about anything including that but well beyond it as well. 
because that's literally only the fourth realm. And in out-of-body travel, you're going to travel uh, way beyond, you know, fifth dimension and beyond, <clears throat> as well as some of the lower spheres as well, depending on how you're called mm-hmm. in the spiritual world. And there is a lot of um, uh, misunderstanding that people have about the experience of out-of-body travel. And I try to uh, cover a lot of that in my books. I've written 100 bo- 104 books on out-of-body travel We have a whole series of books on the how-tos. And for those who are interested in, you know, delving into the things that block people and the things they're afraid of, they can just get a start with Come to Wisdom's Door and the Mysteries of the Redemption, a treatise on out-of-body travel and mysticism. And this will go into the various things that people are afraid of. But, you know, a lot of people have fears just because the experience can be profoundly powerful, and that alone can freak somebody out. People are afraid of running into disincarnate entities. People That's a are big afraid one. of yeah, people are afraid of running into ghosts, lost souls, wandering spirits, and of course any kind of spiritual warfare which would involve uh, the darker side of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the different things that my books do cover which aren't covered in in everyone's books is the fact that yes, there is both good and evil and there is a light and a dark side. And in order to really experience and understand what you're experiencing, you have to understand both. So that's deeply covered in my work. Mm -hmm. Is it, is it always voluntary with the out of body travel or is it involuntary at times? Well, um, there are a lot of people who will have a spontaneous projection. So, um, you know, the reality is that most people do have some level of out-of-body experiences in their sleep. It's just that most people are not consciously aware of it. And so what can happen is people can have a spontaneous, unexpected remembrance. Or there's a reason why they're suddenly given, you know, this uh, vision into the afterlife or something that they need to see. Sometimes it's, you know, visitation with a deceased loved one, and there's something important that brings it about. So people do seek this out. They do want to learn how to do it, but there are a lot of people who do have the experience completely unexpectedly, and, you know, a lot of those people are also looking for guidance as to what's going on and how do I actually cultivate the experience to be of use in a, in a positive way mm-hmm. um, rather than just kind of, you know, wander around and, and maybe not have much of a focus. And, mm-hmm. you know, the out-of-body experience um, has a very deep and meaningful purpose. And that's part of the reason for, um, you know, we just released two films. One is The Grand Phases of the Soul. The second one was The Stairway from Earth to Heaven. And one of the reasons we released those films and my producer felt so inclined to do those subjects is because these are so foundational for understanding the actual purpose of out-of-body travel itself. Mm -hmm. How did you first, you know, like, how did, did, was this an interest that you've always had? Was this something that came from about an experience when you were younger or is it something that you've always just when had I this was, extreme um, curiosity for? 
<laughs> That's a good question. I did, when I was nine years old, I had a very profound vision where I was literally just thrust out of my body, standing before the marble steps that went up into the, the uh, heavens. There were angels on either side of the steps. Up at the top was two thrones. One had the, um, the appearance of an older man, and then the one next to it was a younger man who I perceived at the time to be our, you know, our Lord and our, uh, Jesus Christ. Um, and remember, we are always also, you know, instructed in ways that we can understand and relate to. So it, it alters and changes as we grow. But I was told at that time that this experience would come back to me later and that I would have a purpose that I had to fulfill um, <coughs> and that um, there would be difficulties in the path. I was shown specific difficulties that did come to pass and move through. And, and so I was kind of given that window into it. And I was very, very um, moved by the experience. Um, but then it didn't return until I was 22 where I just started having them spontaneously and began journaling all of the experiences. And, you know, now I'm in my I'm 55, so it's been like 30 something years and um, thousands of experiences later. And what you do find is that there is a defined um, pattern of behavior. One of the books we just released dialogues with a mystic Two, is the second in a series um, which is cataloging and following the spiritual counseling that I was giving to a particular client who um, was seeking the out-of-body experience. And in Dialogues with a Mystic 2, we're going through these various purifications before um, Seeker is able to then um, begin having you know, deep spiritual dreams and then fully conscious out-of-body experiences. But it's very directed, and the, these books cover the process. It's it's a way for people, you know, I do offer spiritual counseling, um, but it's a way for people who may not be able to do individual spiritual counseling for them to benefit from watching that process through another person's experience. And so that's where Dialogues with the Mystic, um, and this one that we just released is the second, um, that's where that was born in that um, desire to make that process available to everybody again, because that's our, that's our thing. We try to reduce spiritual hunger worldwide by making things available for free to any, as many people as we can get it to. Mm -hmm. and wow. That's, wow. Sorry. Go ahead, Michelle. That's yeah. That, it's, that's hard because I can't see you. Um. I know it's okay. It's okay. Um, so, so, I mean, what do you say to somebody, let's say I come to you and I'm just, you know, not so much in, in spiritual crisis by any means, but somebody who, let's say, has a real fear of doing this, because like you say, there's good, there's evil. How do you, how do you calm somebody like that? How do you, because that's, that's really, that's something that's really, you know, ingrained into us because of fear of religion, media. Um, you know, misinformation from other mm -hmm. you know, experts sort of thing, because a lot of people have a lot of different views on this. It's, you know, mm -hmm. so, so what, what is, how do you start this process? Well, 
you started with the study of mystical theology, and that is what actually simplifies it, because then we are actually going into the science of the soul. This is the science of the mystics, the actual tradition of the mystics from throughout world history and from every religion and every culture, the shamanic traditions, everything throughout time. And we find in those traditions that there is um, there is a method that works for the great masters, the prophets, saints, mystics, sages, and ascetics from throughout mm-hmm. the world that has proven to be effective. So we start there. But there's a couple of things with um, fear, you know, because you want to kind of uh, identify what the fear is first, you know. For some people, if they're just really afraid of the experience, we encourage them to enter into a purification journey without seeking the out-of-body experience, which can be done because we have the ancient sacred text. And so we can actually glean from the writings of the prophets, saints, mystics, sages, and ascetics from forever, and we can actually energize that process without having to be an out-of-body traveler. Um, In most cases, though, what you're going to try to do is pinpoint, you know, what is it that they are specifically afraid of, and then you're going to tackle that. So maybe it's the unknown. So the well, unknown that's, that's is usually the big one. one. You're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unknown, a lot of people death as well, right? Death, Thinking yes. I'm here, I can I go back? He's, you know, one right. is always taught, and in, in you know, it's indoctrinated in us throughout our lives that w- when you see that light or you see that staircase, that's it. But it's not always so. Right. It's not, and you know, and I've gone ironically beyond. Um, those borders many times and still been sent back, you know, so, (laughs) you know, yes, I think, um, but you know, it's a, it's a great point that people are uncomfortable with the unknown. But one of the things that I think my books does help them to do is it gives them a window into what to expect and what they're going to experience and see so that it becomes less uh, unfamiliar so when it does start happening, they're like, oh, okay, I read about this. So I know what this is. I'm cool with it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right, right. So it does, it does <clears throat> change that. Um, and one of the big things that I'm always encouraging people to do is, you know, with a spiritual journey, which, whichever mode you may take, always set out with the intention that you want God to show you the truth even if that truth disagrees with your current view of reality. By doing this, you make yourself teachable, you Mm. see? (laughs) Because when we proceed with wanting to have our own views validated, we just put up a big brick wall. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's true. When we place before us this, okay, this, this excitement and wonder of I'm willing to be taught and I can be taught. I'm humble enough to be taught. (laughs) Then, you know, the doors open much quicker. Mm -hmm. And what happens to in the mystical that I think is important for people to realize there are a lot of things for people to learn about. Um, And so like, uh, but it's important to realize if you enter into this path and you do so in a cultivated type of way, 
you will be instructed mystically as well. So you will be taught about how to handle ghosts, lost souls, wandering spirits, even demons, um, principalities and powers of good and evil. All of these things will come to you at the proper time. And so you want to take the path in a way that is, you know, coordinated with, you know, God's design for you personally, so that you are opening to these things in a manner that is comfortable and also where you are being taught as you go. You're educated as you go. So you're not walking into things you're not prepared for. People will more likely run into trouble when they're trying to force the experience and they're trying to push past like this universal authority, which gives us, um, you know, boundaries to Mm. what we are able to learn. We learn very quickly in out-of-body travel that knowledge is vibration. So, you know, one of the things you experience when you're having an out-of-body experience is the vibrational state. You'll start experiencing what I call vibrational raisings. But those vibrational raisings are literally the very core foundation of the experience because as your vibrations are raised, you are then made... Um, compatible to higher and higher spheres and you become more able to comprehend and understand things in an energetic way, things that may not be able to be put into words, the kinds of things that near-death experiencers talk about when they say, you know, for the moment I knew all the mysteries of God. We do experience that in some of these experiences. So, what we're what we're trying to then do is is allow for uh, the vibration to be central and forefront in the experience. One of the reasons the great masters, the great prophets, saints, mystic sages from all these traditions throughout the world were profound and deep meditators mm. was because the meditation process is one of the means by which we are allowing those vibrations to come into us and to transform us and to then prepare us for higher and higher travel. There's a lot of little practices that we can do in our daily lives, most of them um, around the idea of meditation, prayer, spiritual reading, um, but a variation on those themes that prepare us all and propel us all forward in the out-of-body travel journey. So what are the chances? I know we have a question in chat, so I just want to ask this quickly. Hijackers, that's something that I I often hear people say that they worry about hijackers. When you're out, you have all these disembodied, you know, all this disembodied energy, these, these lost souls, so to speak. What are the chances? Okay, and when you're talking about hijackers, are they worried that they're going to take over their body while they're going? Yes, that... yes. Okay, I'm, I'm guessing so that's what the term. That. Because yeah. this one can be this one can be uh, taken care of very easily. So let's go back to what I what I said earlier, which is people are having these experiences even though they're not aware of them. Right. So when we go to sleep at night, this is happening. And so what's happening when we go into the conscious state is just that we are bringing it to our own memory. So 
the very fact that everyone wakes up every morning and hasn't been um, possessed is an indication that um, there are protections in place. Now, there are a lot of things that people can do. Um, you know, I always, uh, you know, keep a crucifix over my bed. I have rosaries. I have certain prayers that I pray before and after. Um, there is a spiritual life that we can cultivate that allows for us to be more protected in those ways. We also want to make sure that people do not feel that they should go into the realms of the darkness. So, for instance, um, if you read my books, you'll find that I was called to work in with souls in the lower hells and the purgatories and in different spheres. It's important that people follow the direction that they are given regarding what they are called to do. And you don't do those things if you are not specifically being mystically taught to do them. Because there is a certain protection that comes from being called to do it. Do you see? And so that's really important. Um, there are... Uh, those are, those are legitimate concerns in the fact that those things do exist and those things can happen. Um, if you even look at the story of the exorcism of Emily Rose, that was a situation wherein a succubus came into her body in the middle of the night in a college dorm. And these types of things do happen, and we have a whole history um, and, uh, you know, lots of, lots of data in exorcism on how <clears throat> these kinds of things actually do happen and are very, uh, very serious. And so people want to stay away from this kind of stuff. The way that you protect yourself the best is by becoming more and more knowledgeable about what's out there and how do you, uh, practice a spiritual life that will provide you with protection. A lot of this is actually taught in mystical theology. A lot of people don't realize that actually in Catholicism, there's a whole, you know, science of mysticism. It's mm. one of the, you know, all of the religions ironically have um, these mystical traditions in Islam. You have the Sufis, you have the Kabbalists in Judaism Obviously, Buddhism and Hinduism have their mystical sects and all of these other things, you know, Sikhism, Jainism, all of these things have those um, aspects. And in the uh, shamanic practices, which are fascinating because of the fact that they happened in, you know, in primitive religion, even though there was no contact between any of these continents at that time and their practices are so similar. What they show us, what all of these mystical traditions show us is that they're all touching into the same universal consciousness. And that's why they don't disagree. You know, a Sufi mystic has some very similar views and experiences as a Catholic mystic, Buddhist mystics and Hindu mystics alike. Mm -hmm. um, so these types of things are very important and relevant. Mm -hmm. Maybe you said you had a question from chat. Yes, um, tell us for Marie, when I meditate, read spiritual books, there are occasional magnetic jolts. Are they telling me I'm on the right path or on the path? It definitely, 
definitely can be um, because what she's touching into there might be the vibration. And so when she's meditating and doing spiritual reading, she is literally feeding her soul. And that is one of the things we've kind of lost in our modern world is the fact that in order to cultivate these things, there are certain things that have happened throughout the ages with all of the, uh, all of those who have followed this path. And, um, and, 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 and it's similar. And the meditation, spiritual reading, the prayer, when you start feeling the energy coming in, that's vibration. That's grace. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, it's coming in to fuel and enliven your spiritual journey. So that's a very good sign in the beginning. Now, there are many stages in the spiritual life, the mystical life, and, and there will be uh, times when that changes and it moves through different stages. But that's excellent, especially in the beginning. So I guess as you wow. evolve, then so does the experience, essentially. Well, yes, but ironically, it's usually the experiences that will take you through evolution. Your evolution will be directly tied to the experiences themselves um, because you will be shown things. One of the things I also tell people is try to surrender to um, what the spirit of God moves within you because of the fact that when we try to um, control the experience ourselves, we don't understand or have a clue what's actually out there, what's available. And um, when we surrender to the will of God, um, we're going to experience much grander uh, vistas of knowledge simply Mm -hmm. because we are allowing God to show us what we actually need to know. We don't know what we don't need to, what we need to know. (laughs) Okay. I I, I like where you're going with that, but what if I'm, what if I'm completely an atheist and I don't, I don't jive with any of that? Like, because not everybody is, I mean, what do you do? I mean, if you have no belief system, how would that person benefit um, I mean, I'm sure they'll find a way to benefit. I mean, there's just something in it for everyone, I'm sure. But you're you're really reaching out there and saying, you know, look to God. He will give you the knowledge. And in mm-hmm. one form or another, one religion or another, kind of different paths that lead to the same place. But what about somebody who just doesn't have the belief system in place? Well, ironically, what you'll find is that in the realm of lost souls, a, a great a great proportion of them are people who were atheists during life because when they cross over, um, it changes uh, their, their ability to process this afterlife experience. And so many of them do get lost. And so, you know, you'll find that with lost souls and wandering spirits that a lot of times it was like, well, I didn't believe in any of this, so now I'm here. What do I do? You know? Oh, well, shit. Something's not oh, right. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, who are you again? <laughs> who are you? My bad. That's a faux pas. Right. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Uh, but, you know, with... Um, yeah. Let me go back and fix it. <laughs> you probably hear a lot of, let me go back and fix it first. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people who are atheists, you know, don't always seek this out. But when they do, they're going to find that if you wish to pursue the journey in the deepest of ways, 
you eventually have to come face to face with the all living God. And, you know, if an atheist has a problem with the understanding of God, one of the things that they might be able to um, grasp a hold of is if you even believe you can project out of your body, then you are kind of indicating that you understand there's an energy that's going on with our lives here. And there's a universal field of consciousness. And that universal field is the all creating God. But if you do not believe that, you can still understand that this universal field is what you're actually tapping into when you are seeking to have an out-of-body experience. What will happen if someone is sincerely seeking the experience, they will either be um, plunged into the truth. You know? <laughs> they will just have to kind of deal with that truth or... Sometimes people who are atheists are going to be a little bit more um, susceptible to deception because of that lack of discernment. Now, you know, I've talked to several people who were atheists and had near-death experiences. And, you know, what happens with a lot of these people is that they're just taken into the presence of the Almighty God. And it's like, oh, okay, oops. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you that's know? a thing. And, and, the, <laughs> and you know, the, the thing that we have to remember is that God, God is so far beyond what we can um, truly understand. Um, and God is so far beyond our limitations. And what I have heard from people who've had these experiences, who, came, who started off, died as an atheist and came back not, is that God is very understanding and is like, yep, you, you were wrong about that one, but let me show you what I'm going to send you back with. You know what I mean? You know, um, what? Well, I'm going back? The whole process of um, understanding who we are comes from this concept and understanding of how we move within this universal field of being and how our existence resides there, how it moves there, how it contains. But one of the things we want to always remember is God created us the way we are. So there's no one who understands what we don't understand better than God. Okay, okay. I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna, I might throw a wrench into that, but 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 sure. it's not my it's not my intention. Um, but okay, sure, no problem. Okay, so if you go back to Old Testament, because if you go back mm -hmm. to Old Testament, it was, you know, um, the gods created man in their image. New Testament, so it's God, you know, there out of those gods, we had the God. Yahweh, the Hebrew God that, you know, many of Christ, many Christians is that's the God of our worship is is Yahweh. So, yes, do you ever see any? <laughs> Does it, Jimmy, you see any of the other ones up there? <laughs> because this is a really big belief system. If you go back into ancient times and paganism or just, you know, the Egyptians, they were gods for everything. And the Old Testament spoke of God's 
plural and that got changed and that's a that's curiosity why the commandments came right yeah that's, that's why a the curiosity. commandments came from moses yeah well the yeah the um the old sumerian texts and the old texts before the old testament they did have a lot of creation stories that were similar to Genesis, and they did speak of multiple gods. Um, as to the Old Testament, the, the whole purpose of that journey from the beginning to, ironically, Moses, was the fact that um, Moses and Abraham before him was revealing one God. And, mm. you know, that was when Abraham was called to separate from the Canaanites, you know, because he had to get away from the belief in the multiple pagan gods. Um, and one of the issues with that was the fact that people were making gods out of their own hands, making clay models and things like that. And thus, you know, we have the idolatry issues and laws that were, you know, brought up forth and all that stuff during that time. When you experience the out-of-body travel state, and if you enter into a purification journey, you absolutely will go back and visit and experience all of the important moments in all religious history, salvation history, and you will experience all of this. You'll meet with the prophets, saints, mystics, sages, and ascetics. And as you continue, you will discover why it is a one being versus many it's something that will be made known to you. And so the I had to ask. This, <laughs> I had to ask. No worries. It's no a worries. great question. Um, well, yes, it it's is. a belief and, you know, system. Go right? back, you know, Stone Age religion, religion, you know, began with the very um, first efforts of humankind to understand God. And, and then it moves through all of these biblical, pre-biblical types of views of how the heavens worked and of course you could you could throw some more wrenches in it by bringing in the extraterrestrial okay i was just going to <laughs> so i'm glad you did it because it was right there <laughs> because well, they're also interdimensional it. right like yeah they are interdimensional and you know when you look at the um ancient sumerian texts and the work of zechariah sitchin the the um the texts in ancient sumeria could very well be relating to um multiple quote unquote gods that may have actually been extraterrestrials and that is one of the pervading theories right now in uh, at least the extraterrestrial archaeology zechariah sitchin was the main guy to profound bring that all forward but we also have you know the book of ezekiel we have Enoch who walked with God, and we've all also know about the book of the secrets of Enoch and the book of Enoch, where he has these great travels. So we know that there are other texts, not just in the Bible, but in these other, um, you know, civilizations mm -hmm. that have some indication. And, you know, we are finding more and more archaeological evidence that we have had um, intervention from other worlds in the development of the human species. And so we know that this is a very definitive possibility in the out-of-body travel experience um, as you progress 
you also have the opportunity oftentimes to meet with different extraterrestrials. And so I've written a lot about my contact with the Pleiadians, the Arcturians, the, um, uh, the ones I call the Tibetans, which I call them that simply because they work primarily with souls in Tibet. <laughs> and they oh. are a very advanced <laughs> species, but I don't know where they are from. Another one of which I have no idea where they're from, but they are from a system that is literally probably at least millions of years ahead of us in terms of their evolution and their vibration. And so what they do now is they do communicate with us interdimensionally. um, And the ones that are like these, the ones that are of a higher thrust, a higher vibrational thrust, they assist souls in the evolution in this realm. We do also have knowledge of other extraterrestrial species that are not, you know, a higher evolved reality. You know, the, uh, the cosmos of the galactic heavens is just as complex as the systems in the world of different societies and cultures. And, uh, and so it's just as diverse as that. You know, I've had had the pretty cool experience of, you know, going to the Galactic Council and just seeing, you know, hundreds of different types of civilizations represented there. Mm -hmm. So there is a wide variety of that going on. And so in, you know, in relation to, you know, the question of the multiple gods and then how the extraterrestrial, you know, impacts there. I think that there is a great deal of evidence to support, not to mention that anyone who experiences out-of-body travel usually will get drawn into this. I have, I have known some who don't, but most people will get drawn into being shown some of these um, uh, really important connections. When you go through the initiations into the mysteries, you're going to go into the Egyptian mysteries and you know, the Egyptian society was very attached to extraterrestrial things as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a lot that goes on here, and it does make it more complicated, but the reality is that what we do not know, we can seek to know, and it is available to us, you know, because all of these things are within the, uh, you know, the energetic memory of our world, of our species, and of these other species, and you do travel through those things when you are experiencing out-of-body travel. As long as we're not living in a matrix. As well. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? As as long as we're not living in a matrix, I guess, for sure. Uh, That's just just been proven two days in a row. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, I've never seen the Matrix movies, but I, uh, but, but, you know, it's um, one of so these not, new theories. Tell me what you're talking about there. I'm sorry. It's, yeah. it's starting yeah. to feel like it. There is a, another question here by Tullus for Marie. Nag Hammadi Gnostics, they describe the Archons. Yes, right. Question. Which, yeah. And of course, they are, they, you'll often hear the term, this is so Archonic. We're living in Archonic times, and their mission is to enslave humanity, hence Matrix. Step outside of it, which would be exactly everything you're teaching right 
Yeah. So, We've got well, Marilyn hooked on Netflix that. for the next two days. <laughs> what is? We're going to have you hooked on Netflix for the next two days watching <laughs> Matrix. <laughs> It'll be a different side to your research. <laughs> that sounds fun. That sounds fun. So I'm very yeah. interested in, in the Gnostics and the Gnostic texts. And, yes. you know, the Nag Hammadi um, text is something I spent a lot of time on. Um, and also a lot of the other Gnostic texts. And, you know, the, the idea of the hierarchies as even portrayed by the Gnostics, you know, like, for instance, in the Pistis Sophia, is often, in my view, misunderstood. It is made more clear through out-of-body experiences, because when you go into these different hierarchies, you understand that you're literally learning a cosmology. Now, um, it's easy to misunderstand what these texts are saying, what, but the, what they're doing is they're delineating different lines between uh, the different boundaries between different modes of action. And there are, you know, we are all in uh, a system where there are orders of beings, you know, just as there's hierarchies of angels, there are orders of beings. There are different creatures created for different functions. And so it can come across, and ironically, I wrote a lot about this in um, the Primordial Seed, which... Um, I'm going to be buying a lot of books today. You know that, right? <laughs> like, seriously. I'm just listening to you, and I'm thinking, do I have room for 104? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can also download them, and maybe it, it won't take oh, up like, as much room. But, I'm you know, I am school. a book fan. I'm old I love school. to hold books. Yes. I need the smell yeah, you can and I probably need the tell feel. from what's behind me. Yeah. I yeah. love to use the regular books. I haven't really quite adjusted I, to the electronic form I even, yet. No, I have a few. I even have collector editions in leather and handbound from the 1800s. I have oh, a, I a thing for those. books, but I think it has to do with past lives. It may very well. It may very well, yeah. but I am very much right there with you on that. I love old books, especially. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, so what we have, like in the Pista Sophia, is it's a very, uh, you know, I guess for, for whoever's asking about the Nag Hammadi, I would ask them to consider reading the Pista Sophia and consider the, um, I believe it's, I don't have it right in front of me, but I would go with the, the, I think it's GRS Mead translation might not be him, but um, there's some other translations that involve lots of commentaries. And um, I recommend the simpler reading of the text because what you're going to find in the Pistis Sophia is that these archons, these hierarchies start unveiling and making more sense. The Pistis Sophia is this really interesting sacred text where, which, you know, just to be fair, you know, they can't verify its origination, which is the case with a lot of texts that we have in the Christian tradition and the, you know, the non-canonical texts in the Christian tradition. But um, what it does is the Savior is with 48 disciples. And so he's got the, you know, the 12, Mary Magdalene is there, and and he is putting forth questions about... Um, you know, deep truths of existence itself in the form of the Psalms of David. 
And then in more cases than not, Mary Magdalene steps forward and deciphers the mysteries. And in these decipherments, you're learning about what actually occurs after death, after life, to various types of, well, you know, the types of things, well, they ask specific questions like, well, if someone did this, what will be, what will they have to do? Their recompense will be this. They will have to revolve around this realm for a period of time and then do this, this, and this. Um, But there's much more to it because it is something where even as you read it, you're going to know you're not understanding it completely. You could read it a million times and each time it would unveil another layer of the depth of the mystery that it's representing. So there is a misunderstanding. And as you actually experience these things, it becomes more known. Ironically, in the book I just released, The Lord of the Redemption, which is the third in the Redemption series, it's the final book, this goes into deciphering all of those things, deciphering what are we actually attaining to in this life here. What is the highest attainment that we hope to achieve before we leave this physical incarnation? What is it that the masters, the great prophets, saints, mystics, saints, ascetics, you know, sages, what did they discover before they left here for the last time? And, you know, they left their little secrets in their ancient sacred texts. They wrote down mysteries for us to try to understand so that we could follow. And of course, this is part of the reason we titled the second uh, film that's just released, The Stairway from Earth to Heaven, the way that we did, because I had many mystical experiences where I was shown the ancient sacred texts and they were lined up like a stairway from earth to heaven. And it was so vital and important that we traverse each of these truths as we are, we're literally moving up with each one. Every one of these texts has within it a particular vibrational charge, a particular vibrational alteration. And with each step, meaning with each different technique that we take on from an ancient text, from an ancient master, we are taking another step up towards heaven. And that stairway of those ancient sacred texts goes all the way from here, all the way below down on earth to heaven. And it's a beautiful thing to see when you see it. It's so astounding. And you feel this, Oh, you know, when you step on the steps and, you know, you'll probably relate to this Amelia with the books, these ancient old, old books, you know, (laughs) and the vibration that you feel, you know, and you know how on earth we're just like, Oh, I want to smell it. You know? Oh my gosh, look at that. That is, you know? Um, and you know, so we have these, these visceral reactions to them in the mystical state. You have an energetic reaction. It's like your entire body is charged up with each of these literally ancient pieces of gold because each one of them is pure gold it contains a secret 
to how do we graduate this realm? How do we overcome and progress so that we're no longer going to keep just circling and reincarnating? What is it that we need to achieve in order to follow them, take that next step, go further? And so um, the, there is a lot that can be misunderstood in the texts when you have not experienced them. But as you proceed with out-of-body travel, you experience that energetic thrust as you're studying the text. You understand it. And so like things like the Nag Hammadi, these other, you know, Pistis Sophia, the, the ancient Gnostic texts, you know, the ancient Cathar texts, you know, mm-hmm. the, yes. the teachings of the lost suppers, you know, um, mm-hmm. they come alive. You understand what they are in total reality, which means as they energetically reveal themselves, rather than just as well, what are they trying to get at here? It becomes alive. And then that's the key. That's the key unlocking and opening the door to the truth. Because out-of-body travel in its essence is just a tool. It's a tool that we use to get to the truth. Mm. Who comes to you? Like, what kind of people do you have that come to you? Do you get a mix of non-believers and believers? Do you get people who I would imagine are so curious and some who would probably love to contact you because they want to connect and find their purpose, but also to the darker side where they might want to connect and find something else? Oh, well, you know, it's interesting There have been, you know, a few of those, I would say two or three over the last 20 years, but the vast majority of the people who come are just sincere seekers who really want to get, you know, they want to cut to the chase. They want to find um, the way that is going to be most meaningful. A lot of people come to me as well um, when they find, like, for instance, that they start experiencing some elements of the dark side and maybe the other places that they've gone have not actually addressed that. That is something that I address very much in my work because it is a huge, important part of, you know, learning to travel this way. Um, We can't ignore the difficult parts of it. We have to, we have to handle them head on too, you know? So um, people come to me with that. But, you know, um, you know, it really is a, it's a real wide thing because it's anyone from the age of 12 to 90 something, you know, (laughs) you know, and it's both men and women, you know, uh, who are seeking and they want to progress. So they want to cut to the chase. They want to, they are wanting to learn how to have this experience, but the people that usually come to me are the ones who want to have the experience in a purposeful way. It's not usually the, the curiosity seekers that I will um, encounter very much because people come to my site and they generally figure it out pretty quickly that this is mystical theology. This is, this is the tradition of the mystics from all ages and from all traditions that we are just learning how to recreate 
um, because we are we are literally standing on the shoulders of thousands who came before us who have already marked this road. You know, I'm not teaching anything new. I'm just trying to make it more accessible to people um, and make it a reality for more people. And what they find is these are usually people who are very sincere in that purification journey. Because, you know, one of the things I've talked about a lot is that, you know, if we are incarnate here, it's because we have unresolved karma. So we have to enter into this purification journey. In the documentary film, The Grand Phases of the Soul, we talk about the purification, the discrimination, which is discernment, and then the discipline of the soul. And there is a very clearly laid out path that people will be able to find themselves on during their, their traveling, their journeying. Um, and it's, you know, it's similar to how, you know, it was Dr. Raymond Moody, um, yes. who I was honored to be on the Joan Rivers show with in 1992, who mm-hmm. um, really laid out the similarities between um, near-death experiences and the, the pivotal moments, like the life review, the seeing of the light, seeing your dead relatives. Um, he pointed out all of these potential uh, similarities and literally codified that field of study. Yeah, he was way ahead finding, of his time. He really was. Oh, yes, he was. And, you know, yes. he, he was, you know, he was a contemporary of Dr. George Ritchie, who was also um, on that show with me. And Daniel Brinkley, of course, who is um, also, you know, a, a pioneer in this field mm-hmm. and what we what they what they were able to do was lay a framework for people who had near-death experiences so even though people's experiences are different they were able to find themselves on this uh on this grid so to speak of okay so these are the parts of the experience i had these parts i did not have and so they, it helped them to better understand what was happening to them. There is a similar process with out-of-body travel, and there's a hugely similar process with mystical theology. We have some of the greatest mystics from throughout the world, Rumi being one of the big ones. We have the St. Teresa of Avila, the John of the Crosses, but we also have these amazing others like uh, Zarathustra, um, someone that I was honored to meet in the mystical spheres in an out-of-body experience, who was the founder of the Zoroastrian religion, the first monotheistic religion before Christianity, and it came by about 4,000 years prior. And so there are amazing texts, the Pavlavi texts, the um, Avesta, and the entire um, cosmology that was shown to Zarathustra, you know, the same type of thing happened with Enoch. Um, we can see in the study of the ancient texts that there is um, a pattern of unfoldment that occurs in the mystical life. And so we can expect certain things to happen in a certain order. And nobody falls onto that like perfectly, just like the near-death experience parameters 
but what it does is it helps people to know what to expect and to be able to have a certain understanding of where they are at, what phase of the journey are they on, what types of things do they need to focus on now. And this is very helpful for people because, you know, we began when we talked about the fear of the unknown. Well, what happens when you realize that it's not as unknown as you thought, that there is actually this, and this is just, this is just one wall in my house. So there is actually, you know, all of this, the ancient sacred texts, which have shown us what to expect. You know, we have earth store Bodhisattva, who was an ancient Buddhist monk who traveled into the hell realms and liberated souls there. We have documents and texts that show us that this mystical gift of out-of-body travel happened in every corner of the world from the beginning of time. Mm. We Mm. are seeing that it's not so unknown. And every time you pick up another ancient sacred text, you are becoming more familiar with it. It becomes less unknown, you see? And so you can even see it through these different eyes. You know, it's not just a Catholic or Christian saint who has seen the lower hell realms. Now we have this Buddhist bodhisattva. There are all these other texts that come from these great saints, you know, of every faith. The Sufis having the same types of experiences as Catholic mystics and Jewish Kabbalists. Rumi being literally the most famous and most loved poet in the world is also one of the greatest out-of-body travelers in the history of the world. Wow, that's and, interesting. you know, Rumi, his poetry was mystical poetry. And um, I used one of his quotes to end the, the Lord of the Redemption because Rumi is the mystic's mystic. He was completely immersed and translucently moving through these fields of universal being in a way that was so profoundly unique. Um, And you know, what's also interesting about that, he lived about 810 years ago in Afghanistan. And one of the greatest mystics of all time in our world came out of Afghanistan. And so we see how there's this interesting uh, way uh, that things change and alter. And did you know there was this great tradition at his time of Afghan mystical poets? Uh, one of the, uh, we have a magazine that we uh, had was the Out of Body Travel Foundation Journal. We had an issue that was specifically dedicated to those Afghani mystics from Rumi's time. And what you find is that they had discovered in the solitude of their desert cavern, the very thing that, you know, St. Teresa of Avila was discovering in Spain in her, in her cell in a convent. And the very same thing that the Jewish rabbis were discovering in the ancient writings of the old Testament that they commentated on and created the Zohar, which is the Kabbalah and the mystical tradition of Judaism. Yeah. So these these types of things jump out at us and show us 
it can be found anywhere. <laughs> That's mind-blowing when you think been. about it. Yeah, all these different <laughs> walks of life and, and locations and spans of time. And, and man, they, they all got it. Yes. And, and what it does is it lets us know that we actually, if we have a fear of the unknown, we have the ability to find out a little bit more about it in the ancient sacred texts. You know, and you can just start if you just like, well, I don't know where to start. Watch the stairway from earth to heaven. It's on our YouTube channel. You can watch it totally free. It's a documentary. It'll introduce you to Toth, you know, to, um, oh, to, Rumi, absolutely. to some of the great people you've never heard of who were profound path makers in their time, you know, forgotten mystics, which is another book that I wrote a while back. But it's a book about mystics that nobody's heard of who were really, really significant and important in the history of mysticism. They each had profoundly unique messages that they were given to the world. So missing links. The missing links. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have like, for instance, this amazing woman who called herself Pensatia in the 1960s. She was a Rosicrucian mystic. Her works are out of print. It's really hard to find her books, but wow. thank God I got me my out of print copies. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she was talking about the initiations, the initiations into the mysteries, the initiations. But the Rosicrucians the have that, though. They're really, oh, yeah. They're really versed I'm, and deep into that. Oh, I yes. just have to pause the two yes. of you for a second because it is that time. You okay. are listening to 107.7 FM, The Outer Realm, right here on United Public Radio. And this broadcast is partially sponsored by the great people at Folgers Coffee. Thank you, Folgers. Thank you, Folgers. <laughs> and we have yum, a couple yum. of questions, but I'll, I'll let you guys uh, continue. Oh, okay. Do, what, do you want to you take want the question? The question? Um, only the because it still it still pertains. We have to backpedal a little yep. bit. Um, Zachman says, <laughs> uh, <Zachary laughs> says he he has a multi part question, and then he asked another one after, the, or it's all part. Last okay. Sunday, Marilyn said that there are various forms of heaven, hell, and purgatory that span multiple dimensions. My question is, did all the dimensions she encountered have? different versions of events mentioned in religious texts like the Bible. Based on her experiences, can she provide us an example? Thank oh, you, Zach. Good. Yeah, thanks, Zach. That's a good question. Okay. Let me see if I'm following the question. Um, so, I can read it again if you need. Can you read it again? Yeah, good question. Of course. Um, he asks, he said that you spoke of various forms of heaven, hell, and purgatory that span multiple right. dim dimensions. His question is, did out of all the dimensions you've encountered have different versions of events mentioned in religious texts like the Bible? Okay, I'm, I'm understanding if you experienced okay. that stuff. Yeah, those events. And One if you can things, provide well, an example. I would say yes. Um, most of the events that I've experienced in those religious histories are very close to what we know, but there are 
energetic variations. And yes, there are multiple heavens, hells, and purgatories. And so what happens, like a good example of this would be, I was taken, and this is talked about in the Mysteries of the Redemption, um, where I was taken to the time of the Last Supper, and I was allowed to kind of just wander around um, in the days before and then sit at the table and listen in when things were going on. And then I was taken aside by our Lord. Now, so what I experienced in the wandering around was just this, uh, something that surprised me was that people didn't realize how bad it was going to get. You know, there was a lot of just, you know, talk of, you know, back and forth. They did not realize that it was going to escalate as it did. They were surprised by that. When I was sitting at the table, Christ took me aside and said, through no fault of their own, each of the apostles' teachings will be altered somewhat. Um, And that it was, and I'm not getting the words exactly, the exact words are in the book, Mysteries of the Redemption. This was, you know, years ago. Um, And he said that part of my purpose was to help to restore what had been lost and what would be lost, but he emphasized through no fault of their own. And one of the things that was really pushed through me that I was hesitant to be the, you know, the harbinger of because 20, 30 years ago, it was a lot bigger of a deal than it is now was reincarnation. Mm. And um, because, you know, reincarnation was literally taken out of the church teaching in 325 AD at the council of Nicaea. And it was, you know, a vote of five, four. So thank you, Constantine. Control, control, control. Yeah. And you know, in the mystery yeah. of the redemption, you'll also read a section which shows the many points in the Bible where there are references to reincarnation and people are just kind of ignoring it. It's kind of like, um, you know, how we, how we just reframe something to make it work. So for instance, when it says the brothers and sisters of Christ, we reframe it. Oh, it must've been his kin, his cousins. Well, that's not what it says. Um, so, you know, we have, we have all of these things that we run into. We know that Christ had asked people, he asked his apostles, who do people say that I am? And uh, they said, they think you're, uh, Elisha or Elijah. And the reason Christ didn't question them would be because in Judaism, reincarnation, that ancient rabbinical, pharisaical Judaism, re- reincarnation was part of their belief. That was a natural part of their belief. And that's why he wasn't like, no, no, that's, that's wrong. You can't say that. Um, he didn't do that because that was a natural part of their belief. He didn't contradict it. He just let them know that Elijah had already come and they didn't recognize him. And that was John the Baptist. So (laughs) there's one episode and there are many others. And there's a lot of books written on this. But even in the Mysteries of the Redemption, you can go through some of the texts and writings of the early church fathers that I included. There were early church fathers who believed in reincarnation and wrote about it. And they did get suppressed. So um, I would gather that part of the message that I received at that time had to do 
with reincarnation because that was something that I was pushed so hard to openly reveal, despite at the time a lot of pushback on that issue. Mm. Um, and every time I would be like, you know, I don't want to deal with this. I'll just take it out. No one, you know, no one needs to know this crap. I would have another experience where I was shown the mysteries of reincarnation and how important it was for people to understand this. And so that would be one. Um, there were many because, you know, you're taken back into, uh, you know, the ancient Greek temples, ancient Egypt, you're taken into the different um, salvation history of the Old Testament. You're taken through it energetically where you understand how it all moves and works together. Um, you're taken into, especially through the initiations and the rites of passage, you're taken into all of these different things, like even some of the pagan beliefs, the, uh, the things you were mentioning before, where we are taken to understand what importance each of these things had in its time and now, you know, what remains true and what energetically of it are we to partake of? Do we need to understand in order to move forward? So, yes, um, I would say that for the most part, you know, my journeys were not to uh, uncover like historical discrepancies. There are a lot of other people who seem to be called to that and I read their works and they're wonderful and they're really interesting. But my work is more focused on this process of the soul. And so I haven't had a lot of those, but um, the questioner is talking about the infinite number of heavens, hells and purgatories. And as you are traveling in these realms, you do learn a lot about what I call energetic truth. And that is understanding what something is through the eyes of God or universal being rather than through the eyes of a physical human being, because our, every view that we have is going to be limited. So when we are being called into some type of service for the realm, we have to be taken into this energetic truth in order to actually perform that function correctly. If we don't understand what the energetic truth is, we will do the wrong thing. Mm. And then mm. we are also then fueled with the Holy Spirit who gives us the grace and the impetus and the instruction as to exactly what we are to do when traveling there, because we're usually there to assist other souls. Because as we are assisted by souls who are higher and in higher spheres than us, we are then also asked to give back to creation by assisting souls who are struggling in areas that are a little bit lower than us. So it becomes very easy to understand why we have to do that when you realize it's creation continuing to give back to creation. For everything we receive, we must also give. Mm, paying it forward, yes. It, it would probably explain why some people wake up with that feeling, uh, you know, after a really good night's sleep and sound sleep and long hours, why they still feel like they've worked all night. They feel exhausted in the morning, like they're they're pulling double duty, yes. so to speak. Mm -hmm. Is that because they're off just assisting other souls, bringing them that over? That absolutely does happen. Right. That absolutely does happen because when you are called in to work on something energetically, you will wake up exhausted and it is... Mm. 
a natural um, reaction and response to um, the work we're doing. You know, I think people misunder- misunderstand that it that actually is a work. Is. You know, so it does actually involve the expelling of energy. And so, yes, um, and many times when I'm, especially when you're dealing with some of the more difficult things, like in the lower realms, you're going to wake up really exhausted. But even even in places within our own sphere, you can be very exhausted because we do get called in to work on the subconscious thoughts um, of other souls who are struggling with things. And then we are informed of that energetic truth and we are given to impart it and share it with them. And yes, we do. We get tired. It's very tiring. Um, Mm. At the same time, you are also, you know, if you continue moving forward in this, in this more complete way, then you are also receiving, you know, the energetic thrusts that are being offered to you, but there will be many, many, many days where you will wake up exhausted. (laughs) I do. Maybe now I know why. (laughs) 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 Did you say there was a second half to his question or there was another question? No, it was all part. Let me just see. There's another one right now. I got so into that because I'm so, I feel like I travel while I'm sleeping. That's how I feel. And I'm so happy that you mentioned different levels. I'm Italian, so I always talk with my hand. Let me sit on it. And then I go to the other one. I do that too, so I understand talking with hands. It's crazy. Um, So I think it's one of my curses in this life. And I know I'm coming back because I've made a heck of a lot of mistakes this lifetime. But um, yeah, welcome to the club. (laughs) I, I, I really believe in Dante's Inferno truly to my core. So when you said the multiple levels of hell and that whole theory as below, so above is so true for me anyways. Um, Marie asked, how can we replenish? Yes. I was just going to say with Dante's Inferno and remember too, it's Paradiso and also the Purgatorio. Um, I believe very fully that, you know, because he wrote this while he was in a prison cell and I believe that he was a mystic because I don't think he could have written that without some mystical insight. So I'm right there with you on Dante. Any of his writings, I, I believe as well, all of his writings. And why does the Vatican hold them? Mm. That's another story. Yeah. I don't know how to translate them. You might be better at that than me. <laughs> oh, 10 years of it, sadly. My mother put me in, in 10 years of it. Um, yeah, she's asking, tell us where Marie is asking, how can we replenish our energies when we wake up so that we can go back to calling sooner, stronger? Well, that's a very good question too. Part of it is, um, first of all, allowing yourself to acknowledge that you're going to be tired at times and not, you know, just, you know, being upset with yourself. Um, and then, you know, the best ways that I have found, and it's difficult because people often have to get up and go to work. Um, you know, these days people are working at home, but, um, but that makes it a little easier in the sense of, you know, trying to make time in the afternoon or if you're unable to in the early evening where you do allow for a meditation. Um, And one of the things you want to try to allow for 
because sometimes when you're just so exhausted and overwhelmed and you've got all this input coming from your physical world, it's difficult to quiet and still that mind, you know, and you can keep trying to focus on your breath and doing all those things. But if you give yourself the time, because most people, they get frustrated within the first 10 to 20 minutes, but don't give up at that point. Just keep going. One of the things I suggest in all my writings is three hours of meditation. Most people can't do that every single day, but try to put enough time aside where you're actually giving your spirit and soul a chance to uh, bypass all of that mass retain, which is being thrown off at the beginning. You know, the other reason for the long period is because out-of-body travel, you have to go to a deep level of consciousness to actually enter into the vibrational state. So you want to give it the more time, the three-hour period. But just even the rejuvenating, you want to make sure that you're not just giving up like 30 minutes in. It's like, okay, well, that wasn't very good. You know, because if you just persist, you may actually throw off some of that and be able to get into a more restful meditation that will re-energize you and prepare you to go back into whatever service you may be called to. And so that's the most, one of the most helpful things for me. Also prayer, you know, and one of the things I think people can definitely improve upon is realizing that even our daily work can be offered as a prayer to God. We don't have to have just a prescribed prayer time. We can be offering either this conversation with God or um, uh, even just, you know, understanding that we are giving our gifts that we have in the physical waking life just as we do in the mystical sphere and we give it as an offering that in and of itself lightens our load because we are transforming those experiences. We are taking them to a higher thrust, a higher vibration. So all of those things. And of course, it's like a form of sacrifice really, you know, well, you are offering your daily duties as a sacrifice to God Mm -hmm. and and as as an an act of obedience to God. (laughs) And also, if you incorporate as much as you can, you know, some type of daily spiritual reading, because you want to look at that as it's almost your bird seed. You know, you're throwing in the, the food of the spirit. And we all need that constant replenishment. And so we want to um, not neglect the spiritual life. You know, St. Padre Pio, who was a stigmatist and one of the best, you know, of uh, uh, mystics, um, always said that daily spiritual reading was absolutely essential to the spiritual life. And, um, and so I, I'll let him speak for that because he's smarter than me and a lot. He's, he's, he had, he recognized his calling at, at two and three years old. I don't know if you yeah. had an opportunity or if you've read his journal, it's quite amazing. Yes. And you know what? Letters of hope right over there. I have right over there from San Giovanni Rotundo. I am so lucky. I have all his letters. It's not even Mm -hmm. in in print yet. I've had it for 20 years. A nun went to San Giovanni Rotundo and was able to get me a copy of, there's three books. 
they're all like this thick. One is yep. his, all of his letters to his spiritual directors, um, and then the letters from his spiritual children. And then there's a separate volume, which is just all the correspondence between him and Raffaellana Sarasi, who was one of his spiritual um, disciples. Um, they are literally my most valued books. And some of them are that I value my books a lot. (laughs) Yeah, some of his letters are in print. There, there are a lot of his journal and some of his letters back and forth to family and some of his um his ministry directors and so forth. My brother-in-law is actually from San Giovanni di Rotondo. His last name is Rotondo. And uh, my mother, I have followed Padre Pio for most of my life, and a a big a big um presence for me of him was at the, my daughter's birth who should never have lived. And I, I brought him forward in prayer and asked him to, to watch over her, which my uncle, who's a deacon at the Il Duomo in Milano, the cathedral, um, had sent a photograph of him to put in her, in her um, little bassinet with her and uh, the holy water as well. But he's a big one for me. I'm a very, very strong follower of his. That's amazing. That's really cool. And you know, yeah. one of the and things so about was Lorraine Warren. Oh, yes. Yes, the Warrens. Very interesting, fascinating people. Um, but as to Padre Pio, one of the great things about him is that once he takes you on, he takes you on for life and he takes on all of your family. So... So you've got to, we, we have a funny, we have a fun relationship. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> it's an Italian English different sometimes of a bouncing, a butting of heads, but it's quite, it's quite amusing. I have a lot of respect for him and I'm grateful for anything that I get from him. But yeah, yeah. I find him very important and so intriguing, even if you're not religious, just to read his story, his life and oh, his yeah. sacrifices and the things he endured. He was fighting evil from such a young age. Yes, but, he was. Yeah. Yes, he was. He was a true warrior in that in that way. And, you know, in my mm-hmm. um, out-of-body travels, I've been honored to see him on a few occasions. And um, he is um, just... You know, you cannot, words cannot put it, it, you know, you can't put it into words. One of the times that he came to me, he showed me the 54 celestial steps in the Holy Mass. And he allowed me to go through this with him to watch how the host becomes the living body of Christ. And it was such a holy experience. One of the things that's kind of the hallmark of my experiences with Padre Pio is that you always have such a holy reverence and awe that you know you just need to be quiet and watch. You know? Well, he's and, he's you know, not he's he often, doesn't hold back if he doesn't think you're paying attention either. Oh yes, and um, yeah, yeah, many there's been many times where he's corrected me on many things, and um, so I consider him to be, um, you know, a most valuable um, intercessor and you know, teacher and guide. And, um, and he is, uh, just such an amazing, uh, example of the mystery of God manifesting in a human being. You know, he was the first priest who became a stigmatist 
You know, St. Francis was the first stigmatist, and Padre Pio was um, in the Franciscan Capuchin order, um, but Padre Pio was the first priest. St. Francis was a monk. He was not a priest. And so, you know, he had those wounds for exactly 50 years, you know, and then I think it was the day after he died that they disappeared. And um, so, I mean, he has a very... uh, fascinating um, life. One of the things too that he said that I loved was that he said, well, um, even I don't understand myself, you know, because people would ask him, well, help me understand you. And it's like, well, I don't understand myself. So it's his humility. (laughs) It's his humility and the gift. Yeah. 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 Um, it was. Zach said, thank you for answering my questions, Marilyn. And um, Cadillac Glider 03 said, great show, ladies. Thank you. Thank you very um, much. I, I can't get to it, but I have an, an 8 by 10 photo of him just to the left of me. But I can't get up because <laughs> oh. I'll take out all my wires with me. And it was sent to me from Milan from my uncle when my oh daughter my gosh, was born. That's awesome. But that's when I first started to really, you know, look into more of him. But my mother always had him always in the in the forefront. I was raised Roman Catholic. So and he right. was the saint of her lifetime. You know, she passed away before um, Mother Teresa was was sainted. So for her, that was a big deal that she could witness that. And, you know, yeah, that was a big deal. The full stigmata. That's not a horror movie. That's the truth. Yeah, that was amazing. He even had he had the four wounds, but he also had the wound on the side. And that's a little bit unusual. There's a few mystics and stigmatists who had that, but. Um, a lot of stigmatists will either have the wounds in the hands or uh, the wounds in the hands and the feet. Not all of them have that wound in the side. And the way he described it was, it, it was very painful. It was not, um, it was definitely not just for show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. You know, that big wound in the side would, would bleed and was extremely painful. And, um, He's a whole yeah. other show. You could do hours on him. You absolutely can. <laughs> I, I wish we, we had hours. Can. But we are at <laughs> the end of the show. So tell everybody how to find you. Um, any last things you how want to people books. to know. Uh, yeah, just yeah, promote, promote, promote. We're easy to find. Just go to outofbodytravel.org. My, we, my uh, email is at the website. You can email me if you have any questions. All our books are downloadable for free. Um, click on the YouTube channel if you want to watch the two new films. There's the Grand Phases of the Soul, The Stairway from Earth to Heaven. You can also watch another documentary that was done um, featuring my work called The Road to Armageddon, a spiritual documentary in 2012. And, um, you know, the two new releases, The Lord of the Redemption and Dialogues with a Mystic 2. Um, anyone who's going there and is just getting started, we usually recommend Come to Wisdom's Door and the Mysteries of the Redemption. And if you don't know where to start, you can always send me an email and I'll, you know, tell me a little bit about where you are on your journey and I can give you a recommendation of where to start. There is a course of study, which will take you through a lot of these things. And a lot of the things that uh, Amelia was talking about, you know, understanding things, the mysteries of the church, the Catholic stigmata, the saints, all these things, as well as other world religions. 
Um, so outofbodytravel.org is where you can find it. We have forums. You can uh, talk to other people who are going through similar journeys as well. Fantastic. Well, outofbodytravel.org. And I just I'm, put I'm, that... I'm sure there's just like so much more we haven't touched on. We might actually have to do this again. <laughs> Let's just, do it, girls. Yeah, we will. Yeah, <laughs> okay. we have to hit the near-death experiences, right? Because I've had several, so I need to talk to yeah. you. Yeah. No, we'll oh, definitely do that. That would be great. We'll Those definitely do that. really interesting to take apart, you know? Yeah, oh, you're gonna have a that. field day with mine because mine are so diverse. None, of, they're not not one is the same, and three of them I had one after the other. So yeah, well, we have a lot to so talk. That about. would be very fun. that would be very interesting to uh, try to see where they're leading. You know, because sometimes sure. you know the very fact that they're all diverse is is a message in and of itself. You know what I mean? No, fantastic. <laughs> So what I'll do then is I'll be in <laughs> touch you. and I'll throw some dates at you and we'll we'll work it out. And I thank you so much for for joining us tonight. A little bit of a rocky start, but but we finally Sorry got there and, and we had a lot of fun. We got a lot of stuff out. So thank you. And I thank will you. be in touch with you. So everybody Sounds yay. great. It was great thank to you, meet Marilyn. both of you and really enjoyed our chat and enjoyed meeting you both. Thank you. Thank you. We'll definitely it do it again. Honor. I'll be Thank in touch. You. Hey. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Well, we've come to another fantastic segment on the Outer Realm. And wow, like I said, rocky start, but it turned out to be everything I knew it would be. So thank you, Marilyn Hughes. And thank you, Joe Montaldo. And a uh, huge thank you to Folgers Coffee for partially sponsoring tonight's show. Please remember to stop by United Public Radio YouTube channel and subscribe. If you want to drop us a line um, with a show idea or you'd like to be a guest on The Outer Realm, you can find us on The Outer Realm uh, Facebook page or just drop a line over to The Outer Realm Contact at Gmail out. Yeah, gmail.com so again the outer realm contact at gmail.com and uh, join us again next week as we have Mark Fiorentino uh, coming to the show Wednesday night and AP Silva boom coming on Thursday both are going to be fantastic segments so on behalf of Amelia and I thank you have a good safe weekend y'all behave out there and uh, we'll see you well, next week stay home stay home Ontario that's right <laughs>